the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Good morning. Welcome to the Bob France Authority and AM 1420. The answer, no, uh, Bob didn't have a little bit of a voice uh, malfunction or change over the weekend. This is Rob Walgate sitting in today on this beautiful Monday morning for Bob from 9 to 11. And um, it's always an honor and a privilege to be in his chair to uh, interact with his listeners and the people that he gets to talk to every day. So this is something that I look forward to when I get that text message from Bob asking me to do it. And I'm looking forward to having fun with you for the next two hours. Uh, Andrew and Marcy are here with us, and we're looking forward to together. To Andrew, I'm going to do my best not to break something. That's um, a, that's always the goal. That sounds great. That's always that's always the goal. So uh, as Anytime you prepare to discuss something for uh, two hours, you end up with eight hours of notes on your uh, paper that of articles you want to discuss or policy items you want to get into, and um, you end up with text messages from friends and family telling you what they think you should be talking about. I just looked at one text message that came in from my mom letting me know she's listening, so if that doesn't make you nervous enough to know that mom's listening, so... Um, I will watch the language. Andrew has his finger on the dump button. We're ready to roll if need be. Get that out of there. But um, in doing all the prep, I was sitting at the kitchen table last night, and um, my seven-year-old daughter was in the room and asked what I was doing. I said, well, um, we're going to do a radio show tomorrow. What, What do you think we should talk about? And she said, I think you should talk about kindness. And I get to thinking, what do you think, Andrew? politics show regarding kindness (laughs) and i was thinking of some of the things that have happened um and how does kindness play into all that well i can think about how um unfortunately in today's political realm how we treat each other absolutely we could all use a little bit more kindness i think um 
I think there'd be kindness in play if someone was to snuggle up close to the president and pull the phone away from him and get him off Twitter every now and again. That would be nice. <laughs> so it, he, he would be kind to others. He would be loving others by doing that. Um, I was thinking regarding some of the things that are sa- said in regards to the 2020 campaign already for president. I'm thinking um, Mayor Pete and some of the things that he said towards towards Vice President Pence and the kindness that maybe he needs to embrace. And, and he's using that strategy of picking a fight with someone to get some attention, garner some media attention, to have it out there to be discussed. We could be kind on that. I can I think of yesterday. Did, did anyone see yesterday MSNBC went to interview Bob Mueller and they went to where he was at church? He was leaving Easter Mass and they are there with a camera and a microphone to get a response to him from the Mueller report, from his investigate, from his report on Easter Sunday. On Easter Sunday, from a church, from a church, and he went out a side door and they were there waiting for him with a camera, and they wanted to talk to him. They wanted to ask him questions, and I I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then they showed the clip on MSNBC, and I'm watching them thinking, who who authorizes this? Who does this? Who says, yes, that's a good idea? And they kind of joked and laughed about it. Like, yeah, I had some questions prepared. I wanted to talk to him, and 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 here it was. And, of course, he didn't respond. He probably thought, what, what are you doing? But in this 24-hour news cycle that we live in, in this time where everyone wants to be the next person to break something, whether they break it on social media, whether it's true or not, because we all know the um, <laughs> whatever leads and is out there, if it's wrong or if it's an error, the retraction doesn't happen on the front page above the fold, or in this case, it doesn't happen on Twitter and be the trending topic. The retraction or the correction doesn't work that way. So we do have a responsibility to be kind to one another. We we do have a responsibility to be truthful and honest in the work that we do. And I know that's why I'm so pumped to be sitting here. I know that's something that Bob takes serious. Absolutely, he does. Um, being kind to each other is just common sense. You can't you can't have good relationships and good connections in life if you're not a good person. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about kindness, and we are gonna open the phone lines. And that's one thing I'm gonna ask when we open them. And I know Bob's callers are always great, always respectful. But say be kind, be brief, but um, but be kind as well. And those phone lines are two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. We're gonna run down a number of things today. We're gonna talk about things that are happening in Ohio at the Ohio State House. Some legislation um, that is pending we're going to talk about we're going to take a look at 2020 we're going to dive into 2020 we're going to talk about a couple things we're going to talk about the process that the democrats are going through when it comes to deciding who their nominee would be who who should their nominee be and and that that process has started but we're also going to take a look at the senate races that are in play for 2020 so we have 34 of them across the country. We're going to dive in, take a look at that. Who has a shot to win? Who doesn't? It, look what time it is. It's you're, We're looking at, we're in April of 2019. Is it far too early to be even talking about any of this? Because you're talking about a 2020 election where people are going to be running. If we look at the House side, you have people that are going to be running for office that were just elected a few months ago. 
but but they're already in campaign mode. So um, there, there's going to be plenty to talk about. But the first thing we're going to put on the table and discuss is we are going to talk about, I, w- I was on with Bob a few weeks ago talking about a group that had pulled a petition. They had, they had submitted language. They had submitted a thousand signatures. They wanted approval from the attorney general that they were giving a fair and truthful statement that they wanted to change the Ohio Constitution, and the way they were going to change the Ohio Constitution was to say that Ohio would no longer have their own electoral votes. They would no longer have the say that they have across the country in the electoral college. What they would do, what Ohio's electoral votes would do, would in essence go to whoever won the popular vote nationally. We know that's been a huge discussion. We know there's been people all over the country that have been fighting for this and trying to pass legislation in states to say, hey, here's how we're going to do it. If a, this, if a state, it, well, the, each state then would allow their electoral votes to go to the popular vote winner. And their goal of these organizations are is to find enough states to have electoral votes that equal 270. So that's the goal. So then, in essence, it would become a popular vote contest. All the listeners, everyone out there, they know the problem with that. They know how that would make no sense, considering that, I mean, when you look at 2016, you look at Donald Trump, he did not win the popular vote. He did not win the popular vote, and he lost by roughly, I think, 3 million votes. Sounds about right, three, three and a half. However... Hillary Clinton won the state of California by 4 million votes. So you're looking at a situation where you're going to have um, landslides in one state dictating what happens to everyone else. And is that the way it should be? So this organization came in. They they drafted language that said Ohio's votes go with the popular vote winner. They said they were going to collect signatures to put it on the ballot and Ohioans would vote for it to amend the constitution. Well, that lasted about a week or 10 days and they saw the backlash. They saw everything that was happening. They even saw some of their friends and allies, people they would consider on their side say, no, we don't want it done that way in Ohio. That would make no sense. You shouldn't, shouldn't be doing that. So they've pulled the language. They said they're not going to submit that. So that is something that Ohio, I know we talked about this a few weeks ago on Bob's program, but that is something that will not be on the ballot for Ohioans in 2019. That's good to hear. Well, it, it is good to hear. And can you imagine? I, I just, I'm, I always scratch my head and think, who thinks this is a good idea? Especially looking, looking at the fact. Do you know how many times in history now, through in all the presidential elections, do you know how many times it's happened where the popular vote winner did not win the electoral college? Two or three? Actually, five. Really? Two, two recently, but five. It happened in 1824, John Quincy Adams over Andrew Jackson. So what happened was Jackson um, won the popular vote, but the deal was he didn't win over 50% of the electoral college votes. So when that happens, when someone does not win 50% of the electoral college votes, it goes to the House of Representatives. Now, every member in the House of Representatives does not get a vote to decide the presidency. That's why you hear all of us say now 270 to win. That's what you need to win the Electoral College, 270. Um, And a great plug for a website for everyone to go play around in is 270towin.com. 
So you hear us talking now today about 270, but back then it was much less. That you needed less than 270 to win. But um, Andrew Jackson did not receive those electoral votes, so went to the House. John Quincy Adams in 1824 became the president based on the vote of the House of Representatives. Each state gets one vote. Every member doesn't get a vote. Each state gets one vote. 1876, Samuel Tilden, he won. Not only did he win a plurality of votes, he won the majority of votes. He won over 50% of the vote, and he still did not win, and that was against Rutherford B. Hayes. He did not win the presidency. How would you like that? Over 50%. This is, that's the only time in history where over 50% of the voters went to one person and, he, and they didn't win. Um, 1888, Grover Cleveland wins the popular vote but does not win the presidency. William Harrison. And then, of course, in 2000, um, George W. Bush over Al Gore. And in 2016, Donald J. Trump over Hillary Clinton. So you think about those. and It hasn't happened that many times. No. Now, people are saying what's well, happened recently and, and and that's why it's important to make the change because it's happened twice in the last 16 years. Well, in the 1800s, it happened twice in a 12-year period, and no one was screaming that they thought it should be changed then. So the, the thought of this, the discussion, the Electoral College, there's plenty of great things. One, one resource you can use, the work that we do at the American Policy Roundtable, the work that we do at thepublicsquare.com. If you visit thepublicsquare.com, we did a show a few weeks ago. We did it on our national radio broadcast talking about the Electoral College. We we broke it down. We discussed it. We dove deep and took a look at it. And I encourage all all the listeners to um, go back and take a look at that on thepublicsquare.com. You can take a look at that as a resource to learn to learn more about the Electoral College. But that plan in Ohio, it's dead. Hopefully it won't come up in a while for for. <laughs> ever again for the discussion um so that's something we won't have to worry about but we're looking forward to having a fun day today i see the phone lines are already ringing after the break we'll jump on the phones if you want to be a part of the conversation remember we're going to be kind today 216-901-0945 you're listening to the bob france authority on 1420 the answer Now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland, on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. Said a joker to the thief. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority. Bob is out this morning. Rob Walgate sitting in his chair, filling in, looking forward to having a lot of fun today. Our number is 216-901-0945. If you want to be a part of the conversation, and we're going to go to the phones early today. We're going to go quickly, and we're going to go to Jim in West Park, who is who is holding. Jim, are you there? Yes, good morning, Rob. Good morning. Okay, um, this is this investigation is not over. Um, unless they open up another one. There's an investigation going on? What are you talking about? I didn't uh, even know. Well, there was. The last is. program that was on, uh, he, uh, this, uh, Hugh said that this investigation is over. And I don't think it's over, and I'll explain why. Jim Jordan subpoenaed a lot of information that was unclear to the Mueller investigation. He's been waiting for a year for it, and it was about the FISA. Judges, three or four times, they they issued a FISA court uh, to wiretap 
of the president. I think Sessions uh, wasn't uh, uh, the attorney general till after he was inaugurated, so he had to have known, so he was obstructing justice. I think he was part of it. Uh, well, so, I, I think you're going to see. I think you're going to see a lot more people called to Capitol Hill to testify. There's going to be a lot more questions asked. Number one, number two, um, this isn't going to be over, and will probably most likely be decided in November of 2020 because that'll decide if it sticks around a little more or if it goes away. Number three, after reading the report, um, do you think anyone's mind has changed one way or the other based upon the information that's coming to light now? I think there's a small percentage, yes. Yes. And Russia, they said in that report that Russia hacked emails, and that's not true. There was a lot of things in there that was not true. They left out so much information, unless they have to open up another investigation to go after that. So well, that's my point. I think there's going to be a lot. Well, no, Jim. Thanks thank, for taking my call. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for calling in. This is something that, that is not going to go away. There's going to be a lot of discussion about it. Um, the question becomes, as we head to 2020, is this something that will determine whether or not the American people get out and vote at the polls? Will it determine which party they vote for? I think if you're, you're sitting around talking to people at picnics and bonfires this summer when you're talking about things, I'm not sure if the investigation is going to be at the top of the list. I don't think so either, but I think a lot of people are going to vote this, this next time in. Oh, I think they are going to vote. I think they realize that they're going to have a say in, in whether they're um, happy with with what's going on or disappointed in what's going on. That That's something that we love to see is everyone involved and engaged in the process. Everyone making sure that they take care of their constitutional right and they, they, they go out there and they have a say. And they encourage others as well. But that, that's why we do the work that we do at the American Policy Roundtable. That's why we do the work that we do at iVoters.com, the American Election Institute, so many other places, so that we can provide that nonpartisan information to people that want to go out there in the marketplace and make a decision. We want to make sure that everyone's informed or educated. We, we don't want them going out based upon what campaign commercial they saw. Or, you know, and I know there's some people that are rolling their eyes and saying, Rob, there's way too much money that's spent on campaign commercials. That's absolutely ridiculous how much money is in politics. And <laughs> I always chuckle at that because we have the facts, we have the numbers, we have the figures. And, and I can tell you as a country, we spend more on Halloween candy <laughs> than we do on political races for Congress and the presidency. And, and that may be hard for some of you to, to believe, but that's the truth. We'll spend more blowing things up on the 4th of July on fireworks than we do on electing a president and a house and a senate in this coming year is that i mean i mean or not this coming year in 2020 but but how, uh, on the 4th of July in 2019 we'll spend more money on fireworks than we will on those other things and that kind of blows people's minds when they think about it uh in that realm when they say there's too much money in politics and how do you get how do you get rid of that? I mean, I'll, I'll give you I'll tell you my my thought on it. I don't have a problem with the money in it. I think there should just be full disclosure. Full disclosure. If you want to take money from your neighbor and he's got a few million and he wants to write you the check, that's great. He can write you the check right now. Yeah, and I think um, yeah, I don't think there's an actual way to get rid of money through politics. You're not going to get rid of them. No. And and how would that be fair? Say let let's use an example. Say Kim Kardashian's your neighbor, yeah. or someone extremely popular on social media, 
and they're going to tweet out support for you. What's the only way you can combat that? With money. Yeah. That's the only way you're going to be able to combat that reach that they have with the financial reach. So I think some people are looking at it all the wrong way. There's going to be money involved. It would help if there was full disclosure. And and we would know who it was coming from and why it was coming. But um, plenty of stuff to get in into today. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five is the number we want to hear from you. What we're going to talk about in the next segment? We're going to take a look at something that will be discussed this week at the United States Supreme Court that not a lot of folks are talking about. We'll be back on the Bob France Authority on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Welcome back to Bob France, the authority on 1420 AM, The Answer. I'm Rob Walgate, sitting in for Bob on this beautiful Monday morning. And um, before we went to break, I teased something, a, a discussion that will be happening this week at the United States Supreme Court. And it will be a fight over, and, and I know this may not sound exciting or intriguing but in the world of public policy that we work in the american policy roundtable we dive into these things and there is going to be a discussion at the supreme court over drumroll please the census the census the census here's why as you know every 10 years a census is taken and one of the things or one of the reasons that a census is taken is because that determines Congressional representation, how many representatives you have in the United States House, which then translates into everyone has that many electoral college votes for the presidency. Well, that many plus two, because you have your United States senators as well, and all 50 states have two United States senators. But that determines how many representatives you have in the U.S. House. So that's why census is taken. But there has been some controversy over the years because my question, I'll I'll throw this out there to all the listeners listening, answer as you drive along. What are they asking? Are they asking for the population? Are they asking for citizens? That's, That's a good question. So what determines the number? The number of people that live there or the number of people that are citizens? Or is it the number of people that legally live there, even if you're not a citizen but you're legally here? What what's the what's the factor? What are they asking? That's I wonder. That that's gonna be interesting. It's based on population right yeah. now. It's based yeah. solely on population. So the Commerce Department, under the advisement and um, direction of President Trump, that the Commerce Department, they administer the census. Um they want to put a question on there that asks if you are a citizen of the United States, which I think I would think it would be common sense to say we want our congressional representation numbers based upon citizens of the United States of America. Would you not? Oh, absolutely. I just I would we get a true number because some people may disagree with that, even if they're citizens or not. That's the question that's asked that some people we, we won't get a true number because because the census would still be done to determine population yeah you, you would still be doing it to determine population so the question would be are you a united states citizen and if you're not you would say no now there's a lot of fear then that they would turn that data over and ice would show up or so many other agencies would show up and enforce the law 
Um, but that that's the question to be had is the other thing is there's a lot of money at stake when it comes to the, the census. And the reason for that is because that determines budgets, that determines infrastructure, that determines what federal funds go to what places based upon how many people live there and the money that they receive. So there's a lot of um, even nonprofits that are concerned that they're saying, wait a minute, we don't want that question asked because there's kind of a fight, if you will. They want to, they want to, it's almost like, um, the sports teams that are fighting for attendance. They want to be able to say, no, our city has the most. Our state has the most. Our community has the most because then they will receive more federal dollars to do the things they see that's important to them. Yeah. That, that's, that's God. That's so tricky. So the question is, is does the Commerce Department have the authority to do it? Number one. And then the bigger question that could be discussed. And asked is, will those numbers of citizens be used to determine congressional representation? Because uh, there's numbers all over the place when they say how many people are illegally in this country. And they are counted for congressional representation purposes. So if you would say, all right, we're going to eliminate counting people that are here illegally or people that are not citizens of the United States. You're looking at um, California losing a number of members of the House of Representatives and also losing a number of electoral college votes. You're looking at Texas losing one or two. You're looking at some of the, you know, what they may call the Rust Belt or flyover states gaining some. Ohio would get another one or two. Michigan, Pennsylvania, Indiana, those states would all gain based because you would be doing it with citizens and using that divisor based upon the number of citizens there are in each state. It's going to be a contentious fight, and there's not a lot of people talking about it. Yeah, that that sounds like it's going to get kind of rough there for well, a minute with, with everybody and their ideologies. Well, and it needs to be done in, in the Supreme Court's hearing arguments this week. And when they take the argument, it, what needs to happen and needs to be done is obviously a decision needs to be rendered quickly, especially on... Um, can the question be on there, number one? But number two, and will they get to this question, is is will that question be used to, de- to determine congressional representation? But the census needs to be printed and start getting prepared in June of 2019. Yeah. So it needs to be, I mean, this is something that is pressing and needs to happen quickly. So you're, you're going to, well, you should hear a lot of talk about it this week. But I think it comes to a surprise to a lot of people that, representation is based on population. Now, there's some people that are saying, you know, look at Florida as well, and that's true. There are a number of people that are here illegally um, in the state of Florida, so that could determine them by one or two members of the U.S. House, one or two electoral college votes. Um, Now, Florida has seen a surge, um, as has certain communities in northeast Ohio, which is shocking to see, uh, regarding people that have come from Puerto Rico. But remember, if you're born in Puerto Rico, you are a citizen of the United States, Therefore, if you move into, um, if you move in essence to the mainland, uh, you're fine. You're still a citizen of the United States. You have all the um, voting abilities and all of that as if you were born in the United States, if you were born in Puerto Rico. So Florida has seen their population swell with Puerto Rican residents as well. Going back to the whole citizen versus population thing, how would you be able to prove it regardless? If, if you just have a checkbox? Would you have to have some form of ID or something to prove that you're either a citizen or 
Well, with, with the census now, no, you wouldn't be turning anything in. They always ask for, for um, the names of the people that live there. Um, it's not managed. Now, you get some threatening letters sometimes that say you have to do this. Um, I don't know anyone that's gotten in big trouble for not filling out the census, but they want to know it for, they want to know how many people live in the residence. They want to know, um, you know, how many faucets you have. They want to know all kinds of questions based upon running water, based upon infrastructure of the roads, all of those things. So, um, the question becomes, do we as a country want to have an accurate read on how many people are here illegally as well? Well, that, that's the question. Uh, that's the question I'm posing. So let's say I'm an illegal immigrant, right? And they ask me, you know, for the census, I they could fear me into saying that I'm a U.S. citizen, even though I'm not. What is the uh, steps on making sure that that's a true statement or not? Well, and that's the fear of a lot of people that they're going to double check that, that they're going to run those names uh, or they're going to run any type of number that's provided against the database and say, wait a minute, no, you're not. That That's a fear to begin with. Um, that's a fear there are. But, I mean, when you take a look at it from a big picture perspective, the question becomes, does the Commerce Department have this authority? And some people are going to look back and say, well, um, when you look at the Constitution, does it talk about citizen? And what was the intent of it? I, I, I tell you, I don't think the founders ever envisioned a time where we would have people that would come here illegally and that would help uh, disproportionately allow representation for some states and against others. And in essence, give people in those states more of a say in who becomes the President of the United States or more of a say in what laws are passed based upon the number of representatives they have compared to other states who don't have a large illegal population. So it's a fascinating discussion to have. I think it plays into 2020 discussions with the presidency, with Senate races. It's something you're going to be hearing about in the coming months, and you're going to have, I think now there's 119 and a half Democrats that have declared for uh, president to be president of the United States. <laughs> So I think you're going to hear all of them talk about that, and we're going to go into that, what that process looks like on those that are fighting for the nomination. We'll do that after the break. You're listening to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. It's the Bob France Authority here on AM 1420, The Answer. She keeps them always shandled in a pretty cabinet. Let them eat cake, she says, just like Marie Antoinette, building a remedy. Welcome back to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Rob Walgate sitting in this morning for Bob and um, having a little fun discussing a little bit of everything. If you want to get in on the discussion, Give us a call, 216-901-0945. And we we're talking about the Supreme Court, question regarding the census that will be discussed this week in Washington, D.C. Um, but we teased and we talked about we wanted to get to 2020, the presidential election in 2020. I can't believe that I'm saying I want to get to that. I want to talk about it because it is so far away and it seems to already dominate the news cycle. And there's so many rules that each party puts in place, and you'd think they'd learn from each other, but it's apparent they're going to repeat mistakes when you take a look at everything that's happened. Do you realize that the debates for the Democrats are going to start in June? June. June of 2019. I, I, 
I don't know. I don't know how I feel about these two-year, three-year, four-and-a-half-year election cycles that we have now. So here we go. <laughs> they're they're going to start in June. And remember, the Republicans started in August of 2015, and I think the Democrats saw that they got a lot of play. They got a lot of publicity. They were able to raise a lot of money. So, And the Republicans had... 87 people up there on stage vying. And remember, the first debate was held in August 2015 right here in Cleveland. That's where it was, same place the convention was the following year. And the Democrats, so they're going to start in June, and they've they've established some rules and guidelines to get on the stage. They said they're going to cap it at 20. The first two debates, they have rules. They're going to cap it at 20. So let's let's do the math. I mean, if everyone gets a total talk time, of eight minutes, right? With 20 people. That's not counting the moderators talking. That's not, let's just say eight minutes. That's 160 minutes. That's, that's what, two hours, 40 minutes? It's a lot of time for yeah. one debate. I mean, seriously, this is what we're getting to. And this is, this is the way you can get on the debate stage. Um, according to the Democratic National Committee, hopeful candidates can learn. Earn at least one percent of the vote in three different national or early state polls conducted by qualifying pollsters, or they can receive donations from at least sixty-five thousand unique donors, with at least two hundred individual donors in at least twenty different states. Um, they already have like fifteen or sixteen folks that have qualified via those criteria. Because when you're talking about one percent. <laughs> Of the vote, think about that. One percent—that's that's, that's going to allow you on the stage. Uh, they have fifteen or sixteen folks that have already qualified for that June debate. That's going to be a crowded dinner table. Remember, the Republicans at least they split it. They had like it was like it was um, Thanksgiving dinner because you had the big kid table and then you had the kids table because you kind of had the pre-debate and the kids got to eat over there and. They didn't get the real glass or the real silverware because they thought people there would be people dropping, breaking stuff. So they had they had the kitty table. But the way it looks for the Democrats, they're going to go. And the thing that amazes me about this as we we head into this process is the Democrats. Why don't they just do a national popular vote for the primary? That's what they scream and yell about. Yeah, that's what they want for the presidency. They want a democracy, even though when we say democracy that's not what the founders founded this country that's not the principles that it was founded on it's a representative republic democrats say a lot of things like you know the the popular or the populist voice matters yet bernie sanders yeah what happened to him with hillary clinton well and remember <laughs> yeah yeah remember the republicans say some crazy things too they talk about democracy a lot as well and i scratch my head and say that's not what it was what it was set up to be there's that Fear of the majority plus one, the founders understood that, that it could change, and then that would take over the rights of everyone. And they had a lot of concerns about that. When you read their writings, when you read the Federalist Papers, they understood the way it needed to be set up to protect each and every person. Um, And the way that the Democrats have set the rules for the primary, they're trying to do a little bit of a change on it. each state must come up with a plan on how, how they're going to do it, and they have to submit that plan by, I think they have to October of 2019, because right now the states are uh, vying for position and changing, because each state decides when they're going to hold their primary election. Yep. 
So right now in legislatures across the country, and some have already decided they're determining when they will hold their, their presidential primary of 2020. Those are, those things are being decided right now, but they also have to decide how they'll do the delegate allocation. Now, one of the reasons I think you see so many people coming out early this go round is last go around. Remember, it was Hillary Clinton, it was Bernie Sanders, and it was Martin O'Malley. Was it Martin O'Malley? I believe. Um, so it was those three that were vying, and really, it was only Sanders and Clinton, yeah. right? That that's that's who it was. So, and the Democrats had a delegate process. They didn't have winner take all. You know, everyone always talked about, well, Hillary wins this state and Bernie wins that state. All their delegates were allocated proportionally when it came to winning states. So it really didn't matter if someone won a state 51% to 49%. But the media didn't tell you that on the Democrat side. They acted like it was such a huge deal. But in the delegate count, it didn't matter. The thing that mattered for the Democrats in 2016 was the superdelegates. And the reason you have, in my opinion, so many people coming out early this time where they didn't last time is I, I think everyone uh, thought Hillary was going to be the nominee, of course, number one. But when it got to become too late, when it got to become um, April, uh, even even February, March of 2016, you know, people that had said, boy, I'd like to see Joe Biden enter the race. At that point, it was too late. The reason it was too late, the reason it was too late, not because he couldn't win primary states, not because he couldn't jump in and cause a mess at the party. The reason it was too late is because of the way the Democrats set up the rules with the superdelegates that so many superdelegates had committed early to Hillary Clinton and said, we're going to back Hillary Clinton. Now, I understand what some people are thinking, and they're saying, but those superdelegates were not bound. They didn't have to keep their word until they, when they got to Philadelphia for the convention. They could have said, no, we're going to back Joe Biden, or we're going to back... Um, any anyone else on the Democrat ticket they wanted to, if they wanted to back Sherrod Brown or whoever at the time, maybe they thought had a chance to beat Donald Trump, they could have went away from that and caused disarray. But do you really think those people who pledged months and months in advance that they were supporting Hillary Clinton and the Clinton family were going to go back on their word? <laughs> Do you think they were going to step away from that commitment? And do you think Joe Biden was going to step into that process and try and blow it up? I mean, here you have Democrats now that are vying. They're all going to these key early states. They're all going to Iowa. They've been seen multiple times in South Carolina. They're going places where they know that they need to get some momentum. Even California is moving up in the primary map. They know that that can hold uh, the key for someone to get a lot of momentum. My question for the Democrats is, wh- why are you doing it this way? Why why are you letting one state matter more than another state? Why aren't you going with a national popular vote? That's who, how you want the president to be elected. You don't even model that out in your own party and your own platform. That's something that I've never heard anyone address or answer. Yeah, I I don't like this whole super delegate thing, and it just it takes away from the fact that the the um the person the 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 citizen is less or the citizen's voice is less than some person who has the word super next to his name. Right, and remember <laughs> the work we do at the American Policy Roundtable at iVoters, the American Election Institute, the Public Square, 
that's a lot of names I'm dropping there. I hope I don't trip over all those. But anyway, um, the work that we do is from a nonpartisan perspective. We're not out here advocating for either party platform or either party. We talk about issues. We try not to talk about people, but the issues that those people represent or they stand for their, or they're trying to make happen. And here on the Democrat side, you have a situation to where you're going to have a lot of discussion and fighting when it comes to that stage. And how are you going to get all, if, if they have 15 or 16 people that have qualified for the debate now, I mean, can you imagine when they get up on stage and they have questions back and forth or they're allowed to have dialogue back and forth? You're going to see alliances. You're going to see some people trying to squeeze out others. You're going to see some people that probably forget what question was asked because they've had to wait for 15 other people to answer the question. And we know that on the debate stage, you don't answer the question you were asked. Anyway, you answer whatever question you want to answer. Um, <laughs> you, you don't hold true to that. So it is going to be a process that is just going to make us all scratch our head and wonder. But what it's going to do is drag out the process. What it's going to do is help these candidates raise money. And they saw how the, that the Republicans did it. But what they also saw is that some people would say the only way to beat Donald Trump in the primary process of 2016, looking back on it, was to narrow the field a lot sooner, to make those races one-on-one races instead of so many people staying in the race for such a long period of time and dragging it out. See, I don't understand why the Democrats are even doing any of this, any of these uh, debates or anything, because in the end they're just going to choose whoever they want over whoever the people want. I don't know why they're not doing a national popular vote. That's what they advocate for. Maybe uh, maybe that's what they should do. So what do you think about the process? What do you think about the Democrats as they head to 2020? You can give us a call, 216-901-0945. You're listening to the Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.